Happy Sunday, brothers and sisters at HMCC, as well as guests and visitors for today. Uh, we are in the thick of finishing our sermon series through the book of 1 Timothy called God's Household, and today's sermon is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, titled, Healthy Church Leadership. There is a fine line in the dynamic between a healthy church and her leaders. There are certainly extremes that are not healthy. One extreme is total blind trust and authority to the pastor or elder or leaders of a ministry to do anything they want or anything that they say, even if it means hurting people, being financially irresponsible, or making foolish decisions. And, you know, we don't really need to think too hard for examples of the great abuses and failures of this kind of leadership. The other extreme is cynical, unfair, lack of respect and freedom to the pastor or elder or leaders of the ministry to make agile decisions, speak into members' lives, and make improvements to the organization. And I can definitely recall situations like this that I've observed from the past as well. So what is that fine line that we have to walk? I would say that it's faithfulness to the biblical call of believers being the church and faithfulness to the biblical call of elders and pastors to serve Christ's church. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses in today's passage of Scripture. In 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 6, 2, Paul addressed specific points of conflict in the church, the household of God, in Ephesus. He gave instruction to Timothy about training himself for godliness, teaching and modeling this to others within the church, and treating people in the church as spiritual family, and caring for widows in the church faithfully. And now this leads us to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17-25. through 25. This is God's word. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of, men, of some people are conspicuous, going before them in judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Amen. The one thing from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, really the main message from this scripture and what I want God to sear into our hearts today is this. Let us faithfully honor, hold accountable, and select elders for the church. This passage of scripture can be divided into three parts. 
that reflect Paul's instruction here. First, faithfully honor elders. Second, faithfully hold elders accountable. And third, faithfully select elders. Let's lift up a prayer together before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love the church and you save the church. And by the power of the word and the power of your Holy Spirit, make us healthier and more faithful as a church in the way that we honor, hold accountable, and select elders for your church. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's start with the first part now. Faithfully honor elders. In verses 17 and 18, Paul instructed Timothy and the church to honor the elders of the church in Ephesus. Here's principle number one. Strive to honor elders because God has called them to lead the church, especially through God's word, through the ministry of God's word. Okay, let me explain what the Apostle Paul wrote here. Timothy had to deal with some bad people of influence. Either they were elders who had turned to the dark side, or they were people who had just undue sway and influence with others in the church, and they were causing serious problems in the church in Ephesus. They were teaching heresy that was related to uh, not allowing marriage and not eating certain foods. And we don't know the details, but it was bad enough that it was ruining people's faith in Jesus Christ. And my point in explaining this, this background is simply this. The presence of these bad leaders did not cancel the necessity of elders to lead the church. In fact, what it did is it highlighted the importance of godly, faithful elders needed to lead the church. And so Paul wrote in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered double of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It was important for the church to have elders who ruled well, To understand why, just look at what Paul said to the elders, um, the Ephesian elders, when he was giving his departing words to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul said that the church belongs to God. God bought the church with his own blood to be his own people. Just think about that. Just think about how much God loves and cares for his church. And thus, those who lead the church have a very, very important role. As Paul wrote later in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, elders were entrusted with the gospel and they were to entrust the gospel and the church to the next generation of reliable men who would be able to do the same for future generations. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 4, that Jesus himself is the chief shepherd of his church and that elders of local churches serve under him. What a great, great responsibility this is. And so they were called 
made by the Holy Spirit to be overseers, to rule well. And what is the mark of what are the marks of elders who rule well? Remember that elders were to govern or preside over the local church in three main ways. First, protecting and promoting both the gospel of Jesus Christ and biblical doctrine. Second, shepherding its members. And third, guiding the church as a whole in vision and direction. Actually, the first way, protecting and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and biblical doctrine, is the foundation for those other two. Elders shepherd other members of the church out of the gospel and out of sound doctrine in their counsel, in their correction, in their encouragement, and in their modeling of godliness. Elders guide the church as a whole in vision and direction out of the gospel and out of solid biblical doctrine in the church's vision, mission, values, goals, corporate activities, focus, and in their own model of servant leadership. You know, I can share with you, working as a pastor now for 17 years and running, that the ministry of the Word through preaching and teaching is a responsibility that has its unique challenges. I want to, I want to fearfully and faithfully handle God's words, knowing that I will be judged by God more strictly. Preaching is really, really hard. Explaining the text, incorporating proper theology, connecting the text to people's lives today, uh, speaking in a clear and engaging way, using uh, illustrations and examples to connect into people's hearts, um, to, um, to... Aim for more uh, simplicity and clarity and depth and always examining my own heart first. This takes at least 15 hours per week for me, not including those times, oftentimes when I get writer's block. And the elders do this 52 times a year plus other special occasions and events. But I will say that it is also one of the world's greatest privileges to study and preach God's Word for a living. I get to teach it. I get to preach it to others. I get to do do a heavy sifting through my own heart and through my own life every week. I get to see how God's Word transforms people's lives, including my own. Man, what a privilege that is. And so we've talked about why the church was supposed to honor their elders. But what does it mean to honor elders in the church? Actually, the word honor here in verse 17 means to show respect with the implication of financial compensation for services given. So there are two parts to honoring elders. First, the Ephesian church was supposed to honor their elders by showing them respect. Let's go over this one thoughtfully, okay? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. 
that would certainly not be for your benefit. This scripture says that when we, when we listen and submit to the elders' biblical teaching, counsel, and leadership, it is for our good. Thus, when we, uh, when we listen and submit to them, we not only honor them, but we do ourselves a service. Elders are far from perfect, but if they do their calling right, they will repeatedly, over your lifetimes, bring you before the chief shepherd himself. He will, they will bring you to Jesus, who is perfect. I'd also add that this is a way of showing honor, is by praying for them. And so you listen and you submit to them, but you also pray for them, pray for their development, pray for the development of their own faith, pray for the, their marriages and families to be gospel-centered, pray for their hearts to grow in fear of the Lord, humility, and being led by the Spirit. So that's the first part of honoring elders. The second part of honoring elders was to fairly compensate them for their good work. And this was warranted from the scriptures. Just to clarify, by saying if they were worthy of double honor, Paul wasn't saying that elders should be rich and live luxuriously. Instead, Paul referenced the Old Testament law from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, uh, when he wrote in verse 18, For the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. This is an interesting principle that illustrates the point sharply and simply. Feed the worker as he works for you. In other words, take care of the elder, elders as they take care of you. Also, Paul referenced something that Jesus himself said as recorded in Luke chapter 10 verse 7 as a way to ground his reasoning. In this part of, of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sent out 72 disciples to declare and demonstrate the Gospel to the region of Galilee. And when the disciples were to go to those various towns, they were to look for people who would welcome them and who would provide them uh, with a bed to sleep in and with food to eat. This was not charity. The disciples were working. And Jesus said this, the laborer, deserves his wages. I believe that this is biblical warrant for one category of elders, elders who serve in their role as a full-time job. In other words, these are vocational, uh, they, they are in vocational ministry, and we call those people pastors. There's also a second category of elders, those who are elders, but also have another job by which they make a living. In other words, those in bivocational ministry that are commonly called lay elders. A healthy church will have both, as both offer uh, their own strengths. Lay elders can bring in the perspectives of those who are working regular jobs in the marketplace, their struggles to juggle work and family and church ministry. And they actually offer great examples for the rest of the church. Pastors can... Pastors, on the other hand, can dedicate more time to matters that will build up the local church as well. They can focus more time on preaching and teaching, shepherding, shepherding and leading organizationally. May we strive to honor elders because God has called them to lead the church, especially in preaching and teaching God's word. This is the first of three tensions 
to be a faithful and healthy church. And the good stuff is, is actually not the only way to honor elders. There's a second tension that we're going to get into now. The second main point is to faithfully hold elders accountable. In verses 19 through 21, Paul instructed Timothy about holding elders accountable, handling charges against elders carefully and seriously. Principle two is this. Strive to hold elders accountable because we love God, His church, and our elders. Elders are to be the leaders of the church, but elders are also members of the church. Therefore, the main idea here is that elders are included in the proper biblical procedures for dealing with conflicts in the church. They were under the same process of conflict resolution and discipline as every other member in the church. The Lord Jesus established this protocol for the church in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Let me break this down again because this is extremely important. In the case when a brother, as part of the spiritual family of God, sins against you, Jesus said that you are to confront him directly and personally. God willing, the issue can be resolved quickly. But if there's further disagreement or denial of sin, then you are supposed to take one or two others with you as witnesses to make sure that the issue is handled in a God-honoring way. Friends, unfortunately, we often get this wrong. The problem is this. Instead of directly talking with the person who offended or sinned against us, we often talk to others about the problem. Now, this may be okay on, okay on special occasions if you want to ask a trusted person for advice about how to handle the situation. But let's be honest. Most of the time, it's because we just want to vent or we want to get that person on our side. To make it worse, this has also happened. Someone who was told about the situation about the situation, feels that he or she has to let the offender know that this original person has something against him or her. Or even worse, the pastor is asked to talk to the offending person and then goes back and forth um, with the other person and the offender, back and forth, and the pastor is acting as a messenger between these two people. And the problem lingers for way too long and hurts, misunderstandings, and grudges continue to grow. You know, even though dealing with conflicts conflicts and sin uh, is much easier this way, it really just creates more damage rather than cleaning, cleaning things up. 
To put it frankly, this goes against the teachings of Jesus. And this is sin. The best way is to address conflict and sin, either done against you or sin observed, is the Jesus way. Deal with it personally and privately with the person it involves. If left unresolved, bring in one or two other trusted brothers or sisters in Christ to confront the person together. If the sin persists or the conflict is left unresolved, bring it up to the church leaders. After repeated efforts fail, then the church leaders can decide on formal steps of discipline and how to bring the matter up to the church. Going back to our text of Scripture for today, Paul's words sound a lot like Jesus' words. While the witnesses were to protect elders from being falsely accused, more importantly, it was to outline the proper procedure for escalating sin issues and resolving conflicts that involved elders. So verse 20 continues by saying that if an elder continues in sin after being confronted in private by two or three people, they would be subject to be brought before the entire church and rebuked. It would be stated before the entire church, uh, of course with adequate proof, that this person had done something wrong. This sounds really harsh, but the situation that Timothy faced in Ephesus was very, very serious. These false teachers had made shipwreck of their faith. They devoted themselves to the devil and they were promoting these false teachings within God's church. And there was a greater reason as well for keeping elders accountable in this way, as Paul said in verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. You see, Paul draws on draws on the the truth of God's own character. You see, God cares about justice. To be consistent with the character of God Himself, Timothy was charged to do his best to uphold God's justice without any biases, whether good or bad, regarding elders in the church. We don't have to look far for how, how bad things can turn out if spiritual leaders are not held accountable this way. I grieve about what happened with Ravi Zacharias in so many ways. From the numerous victims of his abuse, from, for those in his ministry that made the mistake of giving him too much benefit of the doubt, for those who were impacted by his ministry, but now are left in such great disappointment. For this man himself, who was so blinded and addicted to his sin that he could not experience the gospel that he was proclaiming, and, and, and for the way that, that, that Christ's name, ultimately, the way that Christ's name was dragged through the mud. This particular failure is very complicated, but the lack of accountability by those around him ultimately did him, the ministry, and the name of Christ a huge disservice. So now you may be wondering, 
What is a good way then to bring up these kinds of issues, specific sin or personal issues with my elder or pastor? Like in any healthy conflict resolution, a posture of humbly, clearly, and specifically sharing your perspective of the issue is much better than coming off, coming in accusative and, and angry. Maybe you'd choose to write it out first if that's more comfortable for you. Also, listen empathetically to his response and reasoning, but also be bold without holding back what you need to say. If it doesn't go well, recommend or say that you will bring in another trusted brother or sister to help resolve the issue between you two. You know, I remember having to do this as a member of the church. I was serving as a, as a leader at the time as well. Um, but bringing up the issue of how money was being spent for some equipment that was used for our corporate gatherings, uh, I felt that it was more of a luxury item than a, a needed item. And the, um, and the conversation that I had with my pastor was uncomfortable for me. But I prayed a lot beforehand and... We had a, a good discussion about it, getting his reasoning and also getting a chance to share my own thoughts. Um, you know, I've also been on the receiving end of a handful of conversations from members regarding various things about my ministry or my family or my, my personal life. And the majority of times, these have come out of a good heart and concern for me concern for our church, and concern for God's glory and reputation. And so even though it was hard to receive, I was blessed by it. And I don't doubt at all that it was for my good and for the good of the church. This is one of the most important things about this whole charge to hold elders accountable. Listen carefully here. Elders and pastors need the gospel just as much as any other member of the church. Whenever he is confronted by another brother or sister in Christ regarding sin or conflict in his life, it is a golden, God-given opportunity for him to wrestle with the truths that he is a sinner who needs the light of Jesus Christ to shine in all areas of his life. That he is saved by the grace of God, paid for by the life of Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed in place of himself to pay for his sins. That he is loved and accepted by God in Christ, and, and, that, and that is eternally more important than his reputation and his work. This is the gospel that we all need. May we strive to hold elders accountable because we love God, we love His church, and we love our elders. This is the second of the three tensions to hold to be a faithful and healthy church. Now let's go to the last main point. Faithfully select elders. In verses 22 through 25, Paul instructed Timothy and the church in Ephesus about selecting qualified elders only after careful evaluation. And principle three is this, strive to select qualified faithful elders by having a thorough and fair evaluation process. Verse 22 is important and packed. 
First, Paul said, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Just to explain, back in the day, Jewish teachers would lay their hands on their disciples to officially ordain them as recognized and legitimate teachers themselves. This seemed to be the practice as well of the first century believers. Um, They officially commissioned people into offices of the local church like eldership and deaconship. And remember the qualifications for elders that Paul explained in verses three, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 7? A summary of this would be that the elders should be selected based on their godly character that is seen and time-tested among the church, even with outsiders, and especially within their own families. These character qualifications were important because of the honorable responsibility that elders had to lead the church well. Also, Paul wrote, nor take part in the sins of elders, and then keep yourself pure. Reiterating what he just wrote to Timothy, he was supposed to be fair and unbiased in selecting elders. This meant not playing favorites with certain people to keep as present elders or to promote as possible elders, people who were his friends and on his side. This also meant not trying to get rid of certain current elders or preventing certain men from becoming elders just because of personal issues or grudges. Those who were nonetheless qualified, according to 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, he was not supposed to let church politics influence the leadership of the church. Instead, Timothy was to make sure that the other elders were rock solid in the scriptures, thus were able to defend the church from the false teachings, and willing to challenge each other to remain faithful and true to the Lord. Uh, I've been reading this book called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's a biography about arguably the best American president, um, the greatest American president, Abraham Lincoln. The main idea of the book is that, gen- uh, that Lincoln's genius lay in how he selected his cabinet, that, that is, his team of department heads. He did not choose his friends. Instead, he chose those who were best fit for helping him carry out his duties as chief executive, even though many of those people that he appointed were actually his fiercest rivals. These men worked with Lincoln through the darkest periods of U.S. history and ended the institution of slavery. And in the same way, Paul was telling Timothy to not just select yes men, but the best men as elders of the church. Those who were qualified to lead through their beliefs of the scripture, their character, and their relationships with others. So let me just tell you, a healthy, robust elder team is one that is united in their hearts to honor God and the church and diverse in their perspectives, personalities, and passions. Now going back to today's text, verse 23 sounds a bit random. But in light of this controversy, let me make some sense of it. Paul wrote here, no longer drink any only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Apparently, Timothy struggled with chronic stomach problems, and diluted wine was 
used medicine, medicinally at the time to treat um, digestive diseases like dysentery. That's inflammation of the intestines caused from bacteria in food and water. But for some reason, Timothy stopped drinking wine. Now, most likely, perhaps, it was out of a fear of some of the false teachers who pushed this legalistic practice of outlawing wine as a way to be right before God. And so Paul was advising Timothy to do the opposite, to keep using wine for his, his stomach and also to not be misunderstood as endorsing these false teachings. Finally, Paul closed by wrapping up his advice to Timothy in verses 24 and 25. He said, first, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them in judgment, but the sins of others appear later. It will be sometimes obvious if some men are unfit to be elders, but it will sometimes not be obvious until the passing of time. This is why the process of appointing elders should be slow and deliberate. By slow, I mean that there should be ample time for these men to be in situations where their character can be exposed. And by the grace of God, it can be refined. If they did not change over time, then it would save the church a lot of headaches from their bad leadership. Paul then also said, So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In other words, the most Qualified men will rise to the top. It will be sometimes obvious if some men are solid to be fit, uh, uh, solid fits to be elders. But it will sometimes take the passing of time before that character and that calling shines out more. And just as Paul wrote earlier, that's why Timothy need not be hasty to lay hands and commission elders. He was to do it carefully and deliberately because it was so important for the local church. D.A. Carson wrote a unique book called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And the reason why it's unique is because there are never, ever books about ordinary pastors. Only extraordinary ones. That's pastors of big churches or incredible preachers or inspirational leaders or profound writers you know, like celebrity pastors. But this book was the story about Carson's father, who was a pastor of a small church and small ministries in Quebec, Canada. He shared his journal entries that detailed his insecurities about preaching, his personal and family struggles, and other normal, mundane things about life that elders and pastors are supposed to do and go through faithfully. Sounds boring, doesn't it? But actually, it was so inspirational for me. To be honest, my persistent ambitions and dream when, dreams when I was a, a younger man was to be a celebrity pastor. But um, as I get older, and as I get humbled by the grace of God, I more and more just want to be faithful. You know, it's, it's not just being faithful. Being faithful actually is everything in God's eyes. And our goal is to raise up other faithful elders 
full-time pastors and bivocational lay elders who will lead God's churches faithfully as well. Right now, we only have three elders, the three pastors, and we oversee two churches in Tangerang and Jakarta. And we hope that this is only temporary, that in the next five to ten years, God will raise up healthy, robust elder teams composed of both elders, vocational elders, or pastors, vocational elders, and lay elders, bivocational elders. As you faithfully pray for our church, pray for this specifically as well. We want men to aspire to become elders, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.1, because it is a noble task that is needed for a healthy church. And because we know God loves His church, we can trust that He will raise up elders for this local church, HMCC. If this sounds intimidating to you, then take it one step at a time. Grow in your love with God first. Grow in love with, with just being with Him and being in His Word, worshiping Him with your whole life. Then grow in love with God's church. Second, in all the little ways of caring for His people, learning the Scriptures together, sharpening each other in accountability relationships. And this is something that all of us can do. And as we do, may God open up our hearts to this calling in us. May there be this healthy dynamic and keeping a dynamic of honoring and keeping accountable our elders. May the Lord create this healthy unity and diversity in our future elder teams. May we strive to select qualified, faithful elders by a thorough and fair evaluation process. This is the third and final tension for a faithful and healthy church. Now let's go to the next steps that we can take in light of 1 Timothy 5, 17-25. Here's the life application for us as we strive to faithfully honor, hold accountable, and select elders for the church. First, what, can you, what ways can you specifically honor or hold accountable an elder in the church? Maybe there's something you want to bring up with a pastor. You've been holding off because you've been holding off, but because you love God, the church, and that, out, that pastor, you will bring it up. Maybe the Holy Spirit will lead you to share an encouraging word or to commit to praying for Him. Second, pray for God to raise up faithful elders for our church, pastors and lay elders. Can you also commit to regularly praying for our church to raise up both vocational full-time pastors as well as bivocational lay elders? Pray for the current elder team to diligently create pathways and disciple men whom God will call to be elders for the future. Let's go back to our live Sunday celebration to respond together to God's word now.